Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days, you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Dini. This is Gus Boyet. This is Don Hutchison. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I traveled to all these interviews from Barcelona. And our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast would not happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, to become one of our members and get an extra big interview every month, plus loads of bonus content. So go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Graham Hunter, and we'll bring you joy. Welcome back. Welcome back to part two of Big Interview 98 with Mr. John Hartson. This was, as you know, uh, recorded remotely from John's place south of Edinburgh and my apartment come detention centre here in Barcelona. One of the highlights of this part is John's description of a superb win for Wales over Italy. And if you can't remember the Baggio Mancini-esque pass that John plays in the number 10 position to take down the pants of Fabio Cannavaro and Alessandro Nesta, then wait for the description. It's well worth it. This episode contains details of the run Celtic had to the UEFA Cup final in 2003 and moreover the difficulty of facing the fact that that famous team won nothing that season while Rangers won a treble. Difficulty for him and uh, his fellow players. Once we get to the section, particularly around uh, John missing a penalty in the CIS Cup final and then going to Anfield and worrying about how he'd be um, received, the sound quality isn't what we would normally hope for. Anyway... John Hartson is engaging, interesting and funny. Enjoy. Neil and I both reckon that you're underappreciated for your West Ham time. Probably particularly, although the first season that you go there, there's an imperative to keep them up, and you you play a big part in doing that. But that second West Ham season, you know, our research talk about you, you're second only to Michael Owen for the Golden Boot. You're playing in a team with Lamps, with Rio Ferdinand, Joe Cole, Jermaine Defoe. You know, they would maybe be younger guys coming through and maybe make up the time in training. But 
I think you got 24 goals overall in your second season for West Ham. And it felt like a fit, John. It felt like atmosphere. Through suspension as well. So, um, what was it about West Ham that clicked with you? Was it you at your absolute powerful Mm. athletic best? Was it the relationship with Harry? Was it the chicken run? Was it that? I, I was great. I was ready to go when I left Arsenal because I had three years left on my contract at Arsenal and I stayed there for two years. And I remember David Dean and Arsene Wenger calling me in the office and they said, look, John, we'd like you to stay. I signed a five-year contract under George. Um, we'd like you to stay, they said, and uh, we'll give you a new deal. I'm not bringing anybody else in. Arsene Wenger said, you're next man in, you're next man in to Dennis. And That's not bad. The righty. But two of the best on the planet at the time. England, Stanford forward Ian Wright, who was magnificent. And Dennis Bergkamp was on a different level anyway. What a player Bergkamp was. So I'm next man in. And there was several times where me and Wrighty played up top and Dennis played in behind in the hole. We, we played that formation several times. But I've also got Harry Redknapp on the phone. I want to build my team around you, John. You know, this is what I've got. I've got good players coming through. I've got uh, Trevor Sinclair I want to sign. We've got Albergovic, uh, um, who's a terrific little player. We've also got, I'm signing Paul Kitson from Newcastle. I went for record money, 3.2 million, which was West Ham never spent that money before. Kits came for 2 million from Newcastle. And you're both pawing the ground, ready to prove yeah, everything. That's what I mean. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to fly. You know, I'm 21 years of age. I'm as fit as I've ever been. I can run. I've done all my pre-season training. I wasn't a brilliant runner, but I could get across people. And I could just, I could run, you know, as good as I could at that particular age. But I wasn't a great runner. It, we just hit it off. And, and Kitsch, I feel, doesn't quite get the credit that he sometimes deserves either. Because he was a, he was a brilliant partner to have. What, what I liked about Kitsch was, if, if the left-back is coming up, say Julian Dix, who was another tremendous player, Hard as nailed, Dixie. Great use of the ball. Oh, great left foot. And his knee was hanging off at times, you know. He was limping. He had terrible problems with his knee, arthritis, operations and everything. He could hardly straighten it. And he'd come down that left-hand side. And sometimes, if, I, if I'm playing with, with righty, I've got to be there to play for the left-back to play it into the edge of the box. Righty wants to score. He's in there. But Kitts didn't mind doing that job. He didn't mind doing my job at Arsenal, what I was doing for Wrighty. That first man, you know, where Dixie's looking for the edge of the box to roll it in for me to either play a back or play the winger and spin and get in the box. Spin and go. Yeah. Kitts would do that. If Tim Breaker's coming down the right-hand side, Kitts would take up the edge of the box. He was strong and he liked to, to link as well, which, which allowed me then to get into the box and play the Ian Wright role. Play the second striker role, if you like. And thus probably score, get more chances and yeah, score more goals exactly overall. Right. And if I, say, for instance, if I'm playing with a small centre forward and the ball is crossed over Graham, I'm going to generally go back stick to knock it down. For my, like, Smudger was great. Alan Sh- uh, Sutton was brilliant for Shearer. Sutton was brilliant for Larson. Very unselfish. I did that for Wrighty. But when I was at West Ham, Kitts would do that for me. And sometimes you just hit it off. You know, I wouldn't even say we worked on it in training. We had some fantastic results. And as well as a guy called Richard Hall, used to be at Southampton, head on a stick, Richard Hall, went to Leicester one night. 
and it was Taggart, Elliot, and Walsh. Three big centre-halves and Richard Hall, honest to God, he headed everything out of his own box for West Ham. We got a 1-0 win, John Moncur scored. That was right towards the last six or seven games of the season. With Sheffield Wednesday 5-1 at home, we had other brilliant results and we managed to stay up. But it wasn't just me and Kit. We provided the goals, yes, but without uh, Stan Lazaridis, Ian Dowie was coming in, Stevie Lomas as well had signed, Trevor Sinclair. So we, you know, Ian Bishop was a really good football player. West Ham was brilliant. I, I loved the crowd and I, I loved West Ham. What was Ham. the chicken run like? You know, now everybody's rabbiting on about the idiot owners, a bad atmosphere. Way back in this series, we had Frank McAvenny talking about the chicken run. But it, it, I feel that must have been just like flipping meat and drink to you. Well, if you play, if you were playing well and you were scoring goals, then they loved you. It's one of them, West Ham, you know, as much as they can be uh, like a 12th man, a brilliant crowd, when it's not going well, whether it's board level, whether it's the team, they can also get in your back and then it's difficult to play under that atmosphere. You know, did, did some players shrink, John? Did some players not handle that then? Is that what you yeah, said? Yeah, yeah, it's difficult. I, I, I couldn't handle it once I had the training ground incident. I couldn't handle it. I lost my confidence. I was getting um, I was getting abused rather than being cheered. And I was a young boy. And from being the star player, singing your name, to then sort of booing you and sort of criticising you, that was hard for me to take as a young boy. As much as brave as I was and thick-skinned as I was, I'd gone from being a hero to a bit of a zero at West Ham. And that's why it ended. You know, I, I signed a seven-year contract under Harry Redknapp and Peter Story at West Ham. And I was only there two years, you know. But then what happened was I left West Ham and I went to Wimbledon for £7.5 million. So West Ham had doubled their transfer, what they paid for me. And I it was, a, ref- goals, so it was, good it was a reflection of how good you were. I mean, the price was a reflection of how good you were. We've got no interest in talking about Berkovich. Everybody asks you about that and... You know, football's full of heated moments and, and mistakes. What, what I would say about that is, you know, we, you, you can take a lifetime, you can take a career to build a reputation, to build what type of player you are, what type of character you are, and you can put a stain on that in three seconds. And I, yeah. I always feel that was the case because I was always a good team player. I was always well-liked by my managers. I brought for certain reasons. And I just felt I always carried that around with me, although I took full responsibility for it. I know you I did. I just felt that people would go, oh, John Hartson, yeah, good lad, yeah, good in the dressing room, good player, blah, 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 blah. But did you see that? And I always felt I had to get over that. I was more embarrassed than anything else. I was more embarrassed because they put it on news at 10, you know, Trevor McDonald, main mm-hmm. news. It was on every front page paper nationally, in, in, you know, around the, the Britain. And the, the bad publicity, everybody had their say. It was like a Roy Keane moment when he walked out yeah. on Ireland. It was, like, yeah. it was like that type of moment where every man and his dog was against you. Every man and his dog wanted you sacked. Every man and his dog wanted you, you know, to be vilified for what you've done. And that was Arthur Cobell, 21, 22 years of age. And I, I think it got to me on a, on, a conf, on a confidence level. They were knocking my mum and dad's door down in Swansea Press where 
go into the house and say to my mum, what was John like as a kid? Did he grow up? Did he have it? My mum was like, no, he was the perfect, you know, he was the perfect young boy, you know, run around the council estate like every other kid. And the, the, the press were camped out at the back of my house in near uh, Hertfordshire. The long-range cameras were there every morning. But what happened was Ali Redknapp sent me over to Monaco to train with a trainer that the Arsenal player used, and his name was Tibius Derue. And I spent a week... Um, with Tibius de Roo, and I had fantastic training. I had veal on the beach. He trained me like a dog for a week, but he was a brilliant man to be around. And Graham, I came back from that trip. I'd lost about four kilos in weight. I was sharp. I was fit. And that probably got me right to move out of the club to Wimbledon when I got going again. But Harry was great with me. He really was. We still speak today. We do different functions and things together. We've always remained um, very close, myself and Harry. He knows the game is about players and he knows how to build a team. He gives youngsters a chance. And and when, you know, to compare, when Paulo Di Cano has a, a moment, just like a split second you had, and pushes Durkin over. Okay, he's made a mistake. But who, who goes, never mind that. Yeah. When Canyon was vilified whenever he wants him sacked. And he's, he's made a mistake. He's pushed somebody. If that had been a fellow player rather yeah. than the referee, no, no. Right. and Harry goes, I'll have him. That's right. And and he comes and he'd be in the top two, three, four West Ham players ever. Incredible. Because Harry goes, yeah. I'll have it. Yeah, what a player he was, yeah. That's right. And not many not many managers would have even took him. You know, but he took the Canyon a little bit of a risk, a reputation, but he could see De Canio needed someone to put an arm around him and he recognised the ability that he still had and he, he ended up becoming a West Ham legend. And I got to meet Paul De Canio a few times a couple of months ago. I interviewed him in what in a in the in a barking theatre three nights on a in a row and it was a full house and I'd read his book and I I'd gone back to all his childhood. Whoa, 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 stabbing his brother with a fork. <laughs> I didn't quite saw that, but I tell you what I did do. He was, a, he was a big Lazio fan, and all his other side of his family were Rome. You know, he grew up in a tough area of 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 Rome and everything else, and his dad and his brothers. And I'd read the book, so I, I was well prepared. But you know what? I asked him two questions, and he was away. He's so flamboyant. He loved a million dollars. He had a tie on every night. Ah, oh, could you tell now? Think now that when he was a kid, when he was 13, 14, 15, he was grossly overweight. He was four or five stone overweight. He, he loved his sweeties, and he tells this himself. You know, another player we never mentioned, Graham, when he mentioned that AC Milan team of '95, Paolo was in that squad. Yeah. But John, he was that good. We've got we've got people that send us questions all the time. This is really good. This is Robert Ryan, who likes you very much indeed. Even though I know Robert's a, a proud Rangers fan, he says I recall you, and he's 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 clicked into a theme I wanted to ask you about because Robert's going to get his question in a second. But you fascinated me in the research that we did. I, I was arguing to Neil that you could be both things. You could be a nine, not a classic, you know, ten. Um, magical Messi, but you're really, you're a generous man throughout your career. My opinion is that if you'd been the nine all the time in position, never mind the number in your jersey, you'd have scored a lot more goals and you had a sense of not just working for the team, but you, you would work for your teammates. And, and I saw you dropping into positions a lot of the time 
or using the ball in a way that d- separates you from right, for example, because Ian was like goals, goals, goals. Yeah. Very, very good. Yeah, but I like you, you... yeah, I like dropping in, Graham, because I, I had good way to pass. That way to pass when you're three on one and you're going through, not easy to score. It's going to take somebody with the right frame of mind who's bright, intelligent, and eventually the final pass has to be with the correct weight. I always had a good weight to pass. I loved coming off and turning and being able to put strikers in as well. I enjoyed that part of the game. And when you say weight of pass for anybody, I, I, I compare that to the way in which you try to roll a putt and the, ro- the putt must roll and be in the area, the dustbin lid of the hole. And pass, the, pass the ball as if you're passing it to your granny. Put a, bit of, put a bit of care on the pass. Pass it, the ball with care. It's what my granddad always used to say to me as yeah. well. Pass the ball as if you're passing. Because so he loved that. If I've got to send it off to my right, right, yeah. clever players will pass it to my left foot. So I, I keep the centre off there. They don't pass it there to make it a fight ball. You know, yeah. so you, you want to play with intelligent midfielders that, that play it to the right side. And the... I'm favourite, you know? What the, what the weight of it is in that situation, if they want you to pin the defender, they'll ping it right into your feet so that it comes yeah. right in, you can't get it, you hold him. But if they want you to, to, to drop deep and spin him, they'll just weight it so that it's half a metre in front of you so you can go into it and turn, right? Absolutely, absolutely correct, yes. Well, in that case, this fits because Robert's talking about, he says, I recall you playing that Welsh team and how you beat Italy at Millennium. The team likes teammates like Bellamy and Giggs, not to mention the late great Gary Speed and Robbie Savage. He's talking about, you know, regrets about not reaching a major tournament. But that 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 game in I guess two thousand two. I, I I look at that moment, and I, I'd like you to describe what you remember of the moment, not the game, because for anybody that doesn't remember, you you go one nil up, Simon Davis, who's one of our a small group of Welshmen who scored in a European final for his club, a group in which you and Sparky are. And, and he scores early, and I can't remember who scores for Italy. Del Piero scores a deflected free kick. Del Piero makes it 1-1. And you're going, there's about vaguely 20 minutes left, and you've, I think you've had a, a little layoff just, just before I this. What, I did what you described three minutes ago. I came off Nesta and Cannavaro. They were the two centre-halves with Pernucci at right-back. Perlo played, Del Piero played, and they're a tremendous team. It was Cannavaro, Nesta, two centre-halves. Maori's the other full-back. Well, anyway, I I came off because um, the second half, we were were going well. There were 72,000 people there at the Millennium Stadium. Manic Street Preachers had had come on the pitch minutes before that we kicked off. John Charles was there, made an appearance. Another great... So the build-up to the game was just ferocious. The roof was closed, which added to the atmosphere, you know, slightly over the roof, and it was rocking. So I've come off. Danny Gavadon's played a really quick ball into me, which sometimes they're easier to control when it's played with a bit of pace. And I just took it, and I'm facing the opposition on the half turn. So I can't believe Cannavaro and Nesta, as good as they were, allowed me to turn. They were it's, it's, no- Nesta, it's Nesta who's, who's suppo- in this instant, it's Nesta who's come with you. Yes. And, 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 but he hasn't read you, he hasn't kept up with you, and he's let you turn. He's let me turn, and uh, all night, you know, everything I did all night in the first half, I got hold of it. I gave it to Simon Davis, I gave it to Pembridge, to Saab, I played it. 
to left back speedo, right side Bellamy, Giggsy, whatever. But this particular is the, it's in about the seventieth minute, and I've been allowed to turn. And I know Graham. I know Craig Bellamy's on his way because, as I said earlier, he loved going in behind. And Craig timed his run to perfection, and I've slid him through with what we spoke about, the perfect weighted pass. Craig hasn't had to break his stride. His first touch is to take it around Buffon. And I played him through. And I know Craig, as much as I made that goal for Craig, he makes it for me. Because there's not many players that would have gone on to that pass and finished it as calmly as what he did that night. And he put us 2-1 up. And it was just, well, as I said, it just felt as if the roof was going to come off. We'd beaten Italy. We'd beaten the might of Italy in Cardiff. What a night for Welsh football it really was. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Chris Brooks says, uh, my question for Big John about on the pitch, the changing room, the life off, your pit, off the pitch that you had. He's asking, where has been the happiest, the most complete picture you felt in your football life? If you sum up everything on the pitch, the changing room, life off the pitch, and you put them all into one big mix and say, that moment is my happiest. Yeah, it's a really difficult question, that is, because I was most successful at Celtic. I won three titles, scored over 100 goals, and I played in Europe, and I played in a wonderful team with a wonderful manager. We had world-class players at Celtic. We had Larson, Petrov, Sutton. Mialbi or Lambert. We were a wonderful team with an absolutely brilliant manager who understood everything about the ethos of the club 
what the fans needed, what, what the players had to do to be successful. He formed that team. And that's what I was at my most glorious and happiest in terms of winning trophies and scoring goals. I was very happy at Luton as a young boy, living with um, in Diggs with a lovely family called Eddie and Debbie from the age of 16 to 19. They treated me like their own. I had to get myself into the football ground every day. I had to become a man overnight. I left house at 16, South Wales, Swansea, to live in Hertfordshire, 400 miles up the road. And I went in and I had to embrace that different family. I had to help do the dishes after Sunday dinner. I had to chip in with, with the duties. Yeah. I had to live with another family. It wasn't like laze around in my own house in Swansea. <laughs> my mother would say, oh, get your feet off the settee before your father comes home and all that type of stuff. Do you know what I mean? I couldn't do that. So I had to grow up very quickly. And then, you know, getting in the reserves, getting in the first team at just 19 years of age, they're working with their other apprentices who I keep in touch with now. We call it the class of 93. They were really happy days. I loved Arsenal. I was very young. I was, I was only 19. I loved going in there. West Ham, again, I scored a lot of goals, worked with Harry. So that's why I say it's, it's a really tough question. I would have to say Celtic because it's a global club and I was really successful within that group of players. I was wonderfully happy and successful at Celtic, but I've also got to say there were several other times during my life where I thoroughly enjoyed you know, where I was and what I was doing. And Celtic was, was a great move for me. Then, let, then let's end by talking about a little phase in that time. And it's, it's strange, John, because maybe <clears throat> had your back not you know, betrayed you, you'd be sitting with a European medal uh, now. And, and I look back at that season when it's one of Celtic's most famous achievements, irrespective of not beating Porto in Seville, that the, the march to that final is regarded as something so meritorious and so glorious that it's, it almost constitutes not failure but well-being. And also the way in which so many fans went there and 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 there were no arrests and so on and so forth. There's a couple of things I want to, to do. When this confinement ends, there's a lot of debate, particularly in this country, about how regularly, how often players can, can play football matches. So there's going to be a compressed calendar and maybe it'll be without fans. And, and this, the players' union in Spain right now is arguing really hard that you cannot play constantly every three days, otherwise you won't be at optimum. This is you in, in that season. This is you and your team. So you play a match on the 8th of March, the 13th of March, the 16th of March, the 20th of March and the 23rd of March. Those matches are 8th March, Celtic against Rangers, you score the winner. The 13th of March, 1-1 at home against Liverpool. You have a good hand in the, in the goal that Henrik scores. 16th of March, a really brutally contested uh, League Cup final. It doesn't go your way. The penalty at the end, you put past the post. 20th of March, you score one of the goals of your lifetime at Anfield against Liverpool. And on the 23rd of March, you lose to Inverness Cali away and go out of the cup. That's an extraordinary... Martin, Martin, Martin made 10 changes to the team and, and, Liverpool. And, and that loses you that time? We went out away at one nil. I came on with 10 minutes to go. So, so do you think that loses you that tie, the, the, the 10 changes? 
Absolutely, yeah. I think that uh, we had a bit of momentum. Martin had to make changes, as you said, because we'd had such a heavy sort of list of games, fixture pilot. He felt probably that we had enough with our second string to go through, the likes of Sean Maloney, David Fernandez, one or two other players, maybe Ulrich Larson at Lawson, you know, the... Um, Brotto played in goals, I think. Brotto was a good goalkeeper. We failed to hang on to Brotto. He was top-notch, by the way. We got him from Livingston. We couldn't, we couldn't quite agree a contract. Brotto's agent and Martin O'Neill and Celtic. So he left, but he was a top-class goalkeeper, was Brotto. Um, so we went out, and, and no doubt about it, I, I just don't think them, them, tell, that, them 10 that came in um, in replacement to the to the first team, they, they just didn't quite perform on the night. We ended up losing one he, Here's my point, John, because you'll never shake the, the, the feeling of exceptional displays, whether it be Stuttgart or Blackburn um, Rovers or scoring at Vigo in Vigo against Celta, knocking Liverpool out, beating Boa Vista, who were stuffy and mean and, yeah, and ugly opponents. But in that season, Rangers win the treble. Yes. And as a group, you get no medals. Yeah. Looking back on, particularly that period of games, the winner against Rangers, hand in the goal. What instance, what moments, what feelings stand out from that little clutch of games? Well, the, the, the penalty miss obviously was a big disappointment because Stefan Cross went that way and I put the ball past the post that way. Um, I snatched at it. I believe, I scored in that game. I was three yards onside and it was a goal disallowed by the linesman. So it was a complete mistake, wasn't it? Complete oh, mistake. Honest to God, I'm not just saying it. It was, it was two or three yards onside. It wasn't even close. Uh, and I knew as a centre forward, Henrik slipped me through. I know when you time your runs, you just know, you, you get um, yeah. a feeling, like a yeah. sense, you know I'm onside. I know, I know I'm onside. And I, I slid it past cross, it's 2-2, two, two. it's going to extra time. And the linesman flag is up. And I'm thinking, I can't believe that. And then what happened was, we get a penalty. And we 2-1 down. I get a penalty. Henrik Larson picks the ball up. And he throws it to me. He says, John, because when leading up to the to that final, Henrik was out of the team because he broke his um, he broke his, his jaw, jaw, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. And Henrik, um, his first game back was Liverpool, uh, the first leg of Liverpool. That was his first game back, and he scored after a few minutes. So Henrik throws me the ball. The consumer professional that Henrik was, he said, John, while I've been out of the team, you've scored two penalties. I've scored my last two penalties. And Henrik was the penalty taker. Henrik wouldn't give the ball to anybody. But he said to me, you take it. And I thought, no problem, I'll take it. I'm, I'm confident. And I missed the penalty. I don't so, know, John, probably you've not watched it back, but I've watched it back recently. And do you know the oddest thing? Do you know your face? Hmm. It's a quizzical expression on your face. You raise your eyebrows as if to go, well, what just happened there? Not disappointment, not anger. You yeah, literally go like... You, you, I was so disappointed because... When you go to Hamden, you know yourself, you've been there hundreds of times. On a cup final, you get 23,000. Rangers get 23,000 or 26,000 each. There's 52,000 people there. Um, and it's one half is green and white, the other half is blue. And you're shooting into the Celtic end, if I remember correctly. So yeah. I know, what, you know all, them, all them fans are going home. They're all disappointed. They're all probably slating me, saying, oh, why didn't Henrik take it? But Henrik was professional and threw it to me. Henry could have missed it, who knows? Um, and I missed the penalty. So 
I was disappointed for the fans. I didn't sleep that night. I, it was, I felt awful. I went back to Stanley Park where the lads would normally go after, after, after a triumphant win. We'd have champagne. We'd have a spread of food. All the wives would meet us there. We'd hold the cup up at the front of the stadium, front of all the fans. Normally what Rangers would probably do if they won a cup as well at Ibrox. And I went back with my dad. I, I didn't even want it. I didn't want to drink. I just felt, just get me on. Get me out of here. Let people down. I got my head down. But then I redeemed myself in a way because four days later, I go to Anfield and we play Liverpool off the park. We beat them 2-0. We keep a clean sheet. And it was a good Liverpool side. It was Heskey and Owen up top. It was Murphy, Gerrard, Dudek, Carragher, Hippia. They had some fantastic players. And we were outstanding on that. Chris Sutton didn't play because he, he hurt his shoulder. And we went and they started singing my name, the away fans. And I wasn't sure what type of reaction I was going to get because I let them all down. In my heart, I let them down. I don't know how they felt. But I missed the penalty. And they started singing my name. And I never forget it. And that gave me such confidence to perform against Liverpool. It all went perfectly well for us. It was nip and tuck. Alan Thompson's score was great in the 46th minute. He hits a free kick and goes under the wall. The Liverpool wall jump. It takes a special sort of technician to hit it under the wall into the Tom will tell you we meant it. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> so we go we go in one little Anfield, which is a terrible time for them to concede, but it's a great time for us to score because Martin O'Neill's half-time team talk almost changes then we're on the front foot and remember we've got to score they've got the away goal from the week before at Southern Park no matter what happens to Anfield we need a goal even to get into this game to be competitive and then in the second half again I'm getting a bit tired 70 seconds 73 minutes I'm up there battling away with Henrik and uh, I get that goal so I play one two and I know I've got I think it's Jackie McNamara or Stingham Petrov pulling away. And I've just decided to hit it. And like most of my goals were in the six-yard box, using my power, back post, heading ability, whatever, quick feet. I hit it from 25, 28 yards, and it flies in the top corner. And my mum and dad are behind the goal. And I knew, Graham, I knew that Liverpool wouldn't come back from Julio down. We saw the game up really well. And I just ran to the Celtic and that was probably my my moment as a, as a Celtic player. That's the goal everybody generally talks about was Liverpool away, uh, UEFA Cup, uh, court, a quarter final. You know, not many teams win at Liverpool in Europe under the lights. That was fun winding up this this brief chat about a, a rich career, and and you're a man who's been able to handle adversity. And, and learn from adversity. And I know you're a particularly happy man now. So all I want to do is, so Celtic fans who want to hear just every kick of every season of every medal, sorry, but John's been, you know, somebody who's been important to Luton and to, to West Ham and Arsenal. We've, we've left out Wimbledon and Coventry, kind of deliberately, because, John, we wanted to get the best out of your memory bank. And am I right in saying, as I wind up, that although it would have been nicer to have less adversity, you're a better man for everything that sport has taught you across your life. Absolutely, Graham. I'm, I'm, I'm nine years clean. Um, we never spoke about my, my gambling no. problems when I was younger, but 
I'm now nine years clean. I go to GA uh, twice a week here in Edinburgh, and I'm um, firmly on top of my addiction. You know, getting going to recovery um, twice a week, and I'm nine years now without a single bet. So that has been huge. That has been huge in my life because if I'm right, if I'm clean and I'm right, then my family is right, and my family is evident to me. My wife, my children. So you know, in terms of my career. You know, I will never go down as a Larson or a or a Jimmy Johnson or a or a Ian Wright. What I find is is that I was I was very genuine. I was a genuine footballer. I, I give everything I had for every one of my clubs, and uh, I don't want to be called a legend, and I don't want to be called a hero. I'm just John from a council estate in Swansea that managed to make his parents very proud, and I did what I had to do. You know, to go and to go and be good at what I was given that gift. I think we're all born with a little bit of potential, and for me personally, I made the most out of everything that I had. You know, I wasn't the quickest. You know, I wasn't the hundred goals in the Premier League type, but I did. I did as well as I could have done. You know, in in a career. In, at that particular time, I was going through. I tell you, that's a nice thing. If you can, if you, if anybody's career, anybody's abilities, if you can say that as your epitaph at the end of what you've been supposed to do in life, if you can genuinely say, I, "I've maximised myself," that's a fabulous thing to be able to say. Listen, John, you've taken an awful lot of time um, out. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. You're a generous man, generous in what you say, and you've got a nice nice turn of phrase. You, you, you're very gentle with people. I feel that like we've scratched the surface on a couple of subjects, but that's because you like being good about people, and that's a rare uh, a rare tendencies in these in these dis, these sort of vicious finger-pointing days. The big interview is the better for having had John Hartson on it. John, thank you very much indeed. I think we've now got at least a golf date pending at some stage. And yeah, let, me know, let me know when you're up. And we're going to be at the SECC in August. Of course we are, yeah. Can't wait for that. And if anybody claims that they came up with Hail Hail at the Hydro, they're lying. It was me. Um, <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true, Graham Hunter, and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us, at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.